Welcome to Sunday School at the table. Um, this will be the first of a seven-week class. We do Sunday morning classes in sprints a little bit, so we'll do class here, and then we won't have a class fall, and then we might jump something back up in Advent or Epiphany. Uh, but we're going to be teaching through what we're, the good news we're proclaiming during uh, Eucharist. So the content here will be unpacking and digging a little deeper in what we're going to be preaching on in here. And then we'll put the recording up as well in case you have to miss a Sunday as life happens, things like that. Um, the, the hope is I will teach uh, for about 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and I'll introduce today, I'll introduce a tool, a picture, if you will. And then we'll have conversation about it and dialogue about it around the table. And this class is meant to function in conjunction with the midweek DNA groups. So what will happen here today is I'll teach, you'll discuss, and you'll make some discoveries. Some things will be like, you'll have some ahas maybe, or some uh-ohs, or you know, however you want to describe those. And uh, it's good to track those, uh, tag those, collect those, and then in the midweek DNA group, we submit them to other people, and we discern God's work, God's voice, the kingdom of God in that, um, because we trust that God is present in a work, and that he has access to our perceptions, and so let's just start there, to meet with the Lord. Yeah? Um, so that's, that's basically how this functions with midweek, what to expect from this, and how this functions with our worship time. Let me pray for us, um, and then we'll just jump in. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the glory and the beauty of this life. Each breath, a remembrance that you have ordained us to follow you and be with you as your creatures, as your friends, as your image bearers. So we take that to heart today, and we uh, receive that as a gift and as a calling. We pray that even in this time, Lord, you would be at work. Um, we know that you've been working up until now, and we ask you just continue to do that. And be at work among us and in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray these things. Amen. All right, I've got, uh, does anybody have, some people brought Bibles. Some of you have memorized the Bible. I'm going to throw out some verses. I'm just going to point to you, and I'm going to have you look up this verse. And you're going to read it out loud later for us, okay? You ready? Carlo, uh, this will be, you'll like Matthew 22, 34 through 40, all right? Uh, Isaiah? Um, okay, Gal Galatians 5, 14. Um, Brent? Romans 13, 8 through 10. Um, if I haven't called your name yet and you desperately want to look up a scripture verse and read it, uh, make eye contact with me. Uh, let's see, Nancy, 1 Timothy. <laughs> I see those eyes. 1 Timothy 1.5. Um, Father Ben. Galatians 5.6. I don't know why I call you Father Ben. It's just a lot of fun for me. Uh, Kyle. 1 John 3.14. Uh, let's see. Shanice. John 13.35. A couple more. Um, anybody under the age of 18 wants want to do this? 
look up a Bible verse? No? Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Andy? Ephesians 3, 19. Ellie? The Bible on you. First uh, John 4, 8. We'll stop there. I'll give you a moment to look all that up. Um, each week we're going to introduce a different axiom. These are... Um, these function as like our... Uh, our spiritual architecture, theological foundations upon which we want to build our spirituality. Another way to say this is, these are uh, the paradigms that we think a missional, Christ-centered spirituality can thrive in. So, we often talk about principles and propositions when we talk about theology, right? It's ideas and stuff like that. Uh, that and that would be uh, sort of Uh, the coffee in this cup. But without the container, the coffee is not not accessible. You know what I mean? It's on the floor, and I'm like licking it up, and I'm embarrassed, and you're embarrassed, and it's weird. So the container is as important as the contents. So the propositions and principles of the contents need a container in order to bring them, give them form and shape, and have access to us. We're going to call that... Uh, the container is the paradigm. A paradigm is essentially a way of seeing the world. So uh, it's not the world, and it's also not the thing we're seeing with, but it, it's a mediator between that. So for instance, that's Genevieve, and I need my eyes to see Genevieve, or else Genevieve is not accessible to me. Right? So Genevieve is Genevieve. My eye is the thing that sees Genevieve. But then if I don't have my glasses on, it's kind of a blurry mess. Right? So the paradigm is what I see through to access Genevieve. My glasses, you get, you get clear, right? Now if I had like sunglasses on, you'd look different. If I had like disco glasses on, you'd look yellow. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's what a paradigm is. So here's what we're going to describe. Seven, seven weeks, seven axioms. And these seem to be the way that Jesus saw the world. That's our contention. And they're not just the top seven or the best seven. There's probably more than seven. Um, But they seem, these are the ways that Jesus saw the world that challenge us in our modern Western American Christian context. Okay? So they're particularly helpful or meaningful for us. There may be more. They're always growing, they're always changing, etc. So the one we're going to look at today uh, is the first paradigm. Um, and then you're going to set this up next week. What is that going to let me? Yeah. I'm just prophesying over you right now. Yeah. That's, that's going to happen next week. I'll let that for you. I yep. Thank you, Brother Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> so the goal, the goal of the Christian life. is there's a lot of ways to say this and I still haven't decided the best way to say it um, is divine union divine union this also is uh, we could say communion you ever heard that word 
And this is also love. Okay? The goal of the Christian life is divine union, or union with God, communion, love. Um, I would love for us, no pun intended, I'd love for us to read these verses that I, sh- I shot out to you, just to get a sense of how, of the centrality and importance of love in the Christian life. And then we're going to talk about what is love, okay? And then we're going to have some discussion around our table. So, Carlo, would you read out that, um, those verses for us? Uh, starting in verse 34. So love is the uh, principle on which all the law and the prophets hang. Basically, the entire Old Testament is summarized and fulfilled in love, Jesus says. Which uh, is one of the only times he gets into a sparring match with the Pharisees and the, and the scribes. And they say, well, yeah, I guess he's right. It's one of the only times that happens. It's really interesting. I'm going to write them up here. You guys can uh, track these scriptures in your notebook if you want. Uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, 14. Uh, sure. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul affirms what Jesus said, which is bonus points for Paul. So the entire Old Testament law is summed up and fulfilled in love. The keeping of the law, Paul comes to see, is about love. Is about love. All right, uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Paul says three times in three verses that love fulfills the law. I really don't care if the Ten Commandments are in, in the front of a courthouse, but if, if somebody just hung a banner that said love, love God and love others, I'd be up for that. I think Paul would too. Love summarizes, fulfills the law. All right, let's keep going. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So the, uh, the test about whether our faith is legitimate, whether we've actually come into a saving faith, is love. Love is the measurement or indicator that we've passed from death to life. John says. All right. John 13, 35. Nancy, was that you? No. Oh, okay. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Great. Love is the way everyone around us knows we're Christians. Apologies to bumper stickers and witness wear. Love, love is the aroma, if you will, of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says. All right, Ephesians 3.19. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Uh, we're going to preach about this today. Love is the way we are filled with all the fullness of God. This is why I'm equating love and uh, divine union as, if not synonymous, almost synonymous. All right, 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The previous verses, Timothy describes um, that there's instruction and training in the Christian life. And he's saying the goal of all the instruction and training is love. So all discipleship, this class, its whole purpose is that we would become more accustomed to and home in love. Few more, okay, and then we'll uh, talk about what love is. First John four eight. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is a fairly. Um, it shouldn't. I don't think it should be controversial, but I'm going to say it, and I think it does breed controversy. Um, God is love. It's not an attribute of God. So I'm going to use Genevieve again. We could say, like, Genevieve is kind. Genevieve is funny. Genevieve is talented. Those are attributes of Genevieve, not her essence. Love isn't something God does. Love is who God is. So everything that we understand about God is rooted and grounded and centered in love. So for instance, and we'll get to this maybe later, we don't understand God's love through his justice. We understand God's justice through his love. And I could, there's you know, 800 other things we could talk about there. But that, that's the implication of that. And I think it's fairly controversial, although I don't know why. Okay, one more. Ah, that's it. I'll just say that in John 17, you can write down John 17. It's a little too long to read. Uh, this, is the, this is the longest prayer we have from Jesus, by far. And Jesus prays about one thing in this prayer. That his followers can be one together and with him as he is with the Father. That's the summary of John 17. Oneness, communion, divine union, love. Thoughts or observations as you hear these scriptures read? Yeah, Katie. Um, I think a lot of times, or for a, 
love my Christian life, when I would hear these, I would think of love being my love for God. And it's so clear that almost every single one is love for one another. Yes. So, just the, the, John, the first John 3.14, I mean, if God is love, which he is, um, and it's not an attribute, it's who he is, then that is a barometer of how much we love him in Yes. Yes. So Katie's saying that uh, a lot of the emphasis in Christian churches and your experience, it comports with mine, is about this vertical dimension of love. God loves you. You love God. And what you're noticing in these texts is that's connected uh, almost essentially with this horizontal love that we have for each other. Right? So we can explore more of what that means. I mean, there's a whole seven-week class we could teach just on that. But, but one of the things it reminds me of is the way that Jesus teaches his followers to pray has this really interesting prayer of forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we are basically asking the Lord to treat us the way we treat other people. And I think there's something deeper than just God give us what we merit by how forgiving we are. I think there's something deeper going on than that. What's actually going on is we are submitting to the reality you're naming, which is how I treat others is how I experience God and how I, and how I receive from God is how I treat others. That's, that's profound. Other observations or questions even that these scriptures bring up for you. Things that surprised you or things that bothered you. I would, I would say, kind of piggybacking on um, Katie's um, I think when we think about love for God and God's love for us, I think we most often, at least in my experience, we measure that in some sort of emotional kind of category, right? It's how do I feel about God? Am I excited about Him? Am I passionate about yep, God? Yep. And that would mean that I'm loving God, right? Um, and uh, I was just struck by most of these scriptures, they... They, equip, they, they say the whole goal of the law is, you know, is love. But I was just thinking about how they, I think it goes backwards as well, where love, love is the fulfillment of the law, which means love is played out in the, in the uh, enactment of the law, right? So like love, loving your neighbor is, whether you like it or not, or feel like it or not, forgiving those who harmed you, you know, whether or not you feel passionate about love. Yep. I, just, I was just thinking about that as well, but I think yes. love oftentimes conjures this sort of emotionality, uh, kind of sentimentality, uh, when we think about what it means to love God. I think I've measured that in the past. Like my own spirituality, I've measured against this like sentimental vision of like, how in love do I feel with God? Yes, yes. Rather than more of these concrete, am I willing to forgive my enemies? Yes, good. Good. That's a, probably a good... Yeah, Shanice. I want to come back to that. Go ahead. Well, kind of maybe piggybacking on that, too, but um, I guess we'll probably talk about this more, too, but how, as believers, are we balancing what love is and who God is if he's love? Because the world will say, you know, let's just love one another as well. But what does that mean to them? What does that mean? 
unless we are breaking down, you know, is it the breaking down of understanding the law? Um, is that how we understand who God is? Yeah, yeah, good. Good. Uh, I realized, Nancy, that I didn't let you read your text. Okay. Uh, did. You did? Did we? Did we? Oh, yeah, Galatians 5 6. Who did I give that to? You gave that one to me. Did you not read it? Did I not have you read it? You did. <laughs> forsooth and for shame. Would you read it now, Ben? You call yourself Yes, I will read it. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, Paul is, he just keeps coming back to this. I mean, I, we can read uh, Romans uh, 11, um, Romans 8. There's just so many passages where Paul talks about everything else doesn't matter except love. So what Paul's saying here is, uh, I don't care what your religious tradition is, and I don't care how strenuous you keep that tradition, but what matters is faith, trusting God, being expressed in love. So if that's what matters, if that's what counts, then we, I think we need to have a robust reckoning with what is love. Yeah. If we need to measure that and assess that and account for that, if that's what actually brings gravity and weight and transformation to our faith, then let's, let's, let's take a look at it and say, what is it? What is love? How do we live and grow into that? Right? How do we grow up into him in every way who's filling all things in Ephesians language? How do we mature in love? Ephesians 4. So, I uh, hope we have this written down. Um, but Ben, you, you named for us... Um, we really need to get an eraser for this whiteboard. Uh, you named for us, Ben, one of the cultural kind of understandings or misunderstandings of what love is. Yeah? Could you uh, maybe restate that succinctly for us? Uh, yeah, so I think our cultural, yeah, what we've inherited about what love means is like sentimental or romantic. Right? We've got all kinds of movies that we love watching that, you know, what it's like to fall in love, that kind of thing. So I think there's an emotional, there's an emotional or sentimental uh, definition of love that we carry around with us. We don't realize we carry around with us. All right. So one misunderstanding of love is you said that it's just a feeling. And it's a feeling of affection. Yeah, affection. Sort of. Yeah, desire. There's a, there's a feeling of being in love. How, 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 how is this? All right. So like an affectionate feeling. All right. Good. Uh, I can't type in or write and talk. What are some other misunderstandings of love? Yeah, Carla. I love pizza. Um, I love this place. Uh, I love this movie. Great. So we use. How would you describe that use of love? What? What are we saying? It's, it's I prefer. I like. Yeah. Like I, it's an exaggeration where we mean to say this is this is pleasurable to me. 
don't know how to spell exaggeration, so I will just do that. Exaggeration of desire, maybe, or a preference? Preference, I would say. Yeah, okay, great. Exaggeration of preference. Uh, and then you got me all curious. What's the other verb? Like. Like. I like, I like it. So, so in, in not old English, but <laughs> before the, the turn of the 20th century, grammaticists would be really hard on like students when they'd say, oh, I love my house. It's like, no, you cannot love your house. Your house can't love you back, so you like your house. Mm. Other languages only have one verb, other languages have four verbs. Sure. Interesting. Inflated liking and loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but by exaggerating what we mean. Yeah, that does matter. All right, so we love ev we love everything: inanimate objects, pizza, exactly. TV shows. Yeah, and you can't because yeah, because they can't love you back. back. Okay, good. Well, and even looking at the yeah, let's hear it, Katie. <laughs> well, even looking at the Greek, I mean, that's a good example of a language that parses out different uh, definitions of our verb love, which is. Yeah. Love, agape, love, eros, erotic love. I mean, yeah, so they at least have different categories. Yeah, so that helps to sort of separate. It but does. Even in those languages, the closest yeah. that you have, I think, oh, you're out now, but the word that translates to English is affection. Um, uh, Sturgeon, yeah. Um, even with that, like, you can have affection for animals, you can have affection for a beggar in the street. You can't really have affection for, like, a TV show, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, it's nice, but it's like when you hear a, a, an actor die, you feel sad because it's death, and you feel bad for their family, but you don't really miss them the way that their family's going to miss them, you know? Like, or their yeah. friends are going to miss well, them. Well, and you don't really love them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I got a little Yeah. All right. All right. Not all. Not all of us can have the special relationship you have with pizza, Andy. All the pizza-shaped holes in our heart go unfulfilled. Any other, any, any other misunderstandings of how we conceive of love? Or, like, we've been talking about how we use the word love. Yeah. But, yeah, Marissa. I think it just means, like, I think the, our culture has taken it to mean, like, full acceptance. Yeah. Like, if you love something, then you are not allowed to, like, push back on anything. You're not allowed. It's just full acceptance, no question asked. Yeah. yeah. So, I kind of describe this as, like, uh, the Bud Light ethos. What? Bud Light. So Bud Light has these slogans. <laughs> like, a couple years ago, it was, it's all good. And then uh, a year ago, it was up for whatever. It's kind of that expression of, you do you, and I'll do me. Mm -hmm. And I'll be just excited about how you're doing you as I am about me doing me. Yeah. That's kind of the ethos you're talking about? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to put up for whatever as this acceptance because I think the word acceptance, uh, I hear how you're using it. Um, it's not the only way to use that word. And I don't want to pejoratize that word yeah. for us. So up for whatever. Good. Who else? Or loving me is letting me do whatever I want. Yeah. So it's um, like permissive endorsement. 
Yeah. I don't know if you really like, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best kind of thing. Mm. So it ends up a lot of times being understood as if you don't accept me fully with like an absolutely glad heart when I do absolutely horrible or when my behavior is such that it should be reprimanded, yeah. then you don't love me for yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Any other, any other ones you put up here? Uh, it may fall under the feelings of affection, but I think a lot of times we assume that love doesn't have any hard or negative feelings. Yes. So love is just nice. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Like yeah. love is being nice. Yeah, like discipline or correction wouldn't be love, but that's something else. Yeah, so... Um, Long-suffering. Yeah, so... The way I would describe that is love is something other than and distinguishable from truth. You'll hear this a lot when people say, we need to be loving and truthful. Well, I don't disagree with that. But what that does for us linguistically is it separates love and truth. So that, tr so that love doesn't have truth in it. What we're saying when we say that is we need to be nice and tough. That's what we're, that's what we're really saying. We need to be nice and tough. Uh, I think love is also just associated with sex. Right? So it's associated with uh, hormones and relationships and uh, Def Leppard love songs. Like it's kind of this, kind of that thing. And then, Ben, you mentioned sentimental. So I think, I think in the church, this is my, my experience, that love is sentimentalized. You guys know what sentimental means? Sentimental means like, oh, um... Love is fine for like kids' sermons or funerals or weddings. We'll read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings because that's why Paul wrote it. <laughs> but um, when we have to like make decisions as a vestry or, you know, help somebody with a difficulty in their marriage or uh, somebody has an addiction and they need recovery, then we need something other than love because love is like sentimental and it's weak. Love is weak. It's fine for old ladies and little kids. And chicken soup for the soul. I'm sorry. Sometimes I rant about things. That was probably more than needed to be said about <laughs> Sentimental. Alright, so I just, I think we can all maybe assent to or at least uh, go with the fact that this might be what we've written here might be a little, it might not be what Jesus is talking about. But it's how we, it's our dominant imaginations for what love is, and so it's all we got. It's all we got. All right. Uh, I've got, we've got about 15 minutes, and so this is the tool I want to show you. Okay, so get ready. Get ready. Um, who didn't get to read the scripture that really wants to read the scripture? It looks like you do have ears to sit. All right. Josie, would you read, uh, would you get John 1, 16 through 18 ready for us? I think most of us, most, most, of, most of us, and I think Christians too, we think of love as this zero-sum binary that has on one side being nice 
and on one side, bean cone. This is how I see it play out. And love is the tricky tightrope of trying to find the exact middle balance in every situation. So I don't, I don't want to sacrifice truth, but I don't want to be a jerk. Or I want to be kind, but I don't want to be weak. And it ends up feeling like this, we have to, we have to find this, I don't know, balance point that feels like a razor edge when we're trying to get love right. Now that might not be your experience. If it is, and you can think of situations where that's happening, write those down. Or maybe you experience love differently, write that down. How do you experience it? Um, Josie, will you read that text for us? John 1, 16, verse 16 through 18. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace, and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Great. Thank you. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to suggest that one way to center what, what love is and to let Jesus define love. I mean, if God is love and Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. Do you guys get that quick math equation? If God is love and Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. One way to name and describe and assess and notice what love is and isn't is to use what Jesus was full of as a way of defining and describing it. So we'll use these two words, grace and truth. I want to suggest love that looks like Jesus is full of grace and truth. Love that looks like Jesus is full of grace and truth. The thing about grace and truth is that it maps pretty well on the nice, tough binary, doesn't it? So grace is just being a, sort of a Christian, Christianized Bud Light slogan. I'll just be nice to you no matter what. Right? And truth, at least in the circles I've run in, really is a synonym for tough. You know, uh, you know we have phrases like they're soft on truth. It means they're not tough, they're too nice. Things like that. But instead of a binary, I want to suggest that there's actually two dynamics that are an operation together that grace and truth describe. So grace, then, we're going to use an xy axis. Anybody know what xy axis is? Yeah. All right. We're going to use an xy axis, and we're going to put, all right, look, look at this, kids. You guys can do this quite better than me. But we're going to do... Is this the y-axis here? Yes. yes. Oh, I can't believe I did. I had a 50-50 chance of getting that right. And we're gonna put we're gonna put we're gonna put oh x is the horizontal. Thank you. I was gonna call this the q-axis. All right. So we got our we got our x y uh, box here. And so here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that uh, love is made up of grace. So put grace 
up on top of the, of the y-axis. And truth. Put truth over here on the right on the x-axis. Uh, who's, who's pretty good at x-y-axis? Alright, so what are we indicating here? Is this a little grace or a lot of grace? A lot of grace. So we're going to put a big plus here. So what does this mean down here? Is this like negative grace, right? Yeah. So we're going to put negative grace. Is this a lot of truth or a little truth? A lot. It's a lot, right? So plus, and then this would be, yeah, negative. Good. All right, let me define grace and truth as I'm using them here. Um, and there's a, uh, a seven-year biblical theology behind that, and we'll just have to do it in about 90 seconds. Grace is... I was taught that grace is getting what you don't deserve. Right? Have you heard that before? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So grace would be like... My daughter, Cece, yesterday jumped up on the counter, grabbed the candy box off the shelf, and was eating candy. I, like, notice it. I'm, like, working on a class. I notice it. I walk in the other room, uh, and I go to my wife, and I go, Cece has been asking for candy. You told her no, and now she's got candy. And my assumption was you gave her permission to get candy. And Sharon's like, mm-mm. <laughs> so I went back in there, you know, and I'm like, Celeste, you didn't ask permission to get candy. Now... Uh, in this sort of definition of grace, it would be me giving her candy or more candy because she obviously doesn't deserve it. Right? I want to suggest to you, I, I want to contend. That's a little stronger. I want to contend that this is an awful definition of grace. It's, not, it's no good. Here's what grace is. Ready? Grace is God giving himself to us. Grace is God giving himself to us. Do we deserve it? No. But that's like 0.02% of what grace is. Yeah, of course we don't deserve that. But grace is so much more than just getting what I don't deserve. When grace is getting what I don't deserve, then it turns our relationship into God as a transaction. God's just giving me the commodity of what? forgiveness, mercy, salvation, afterlife, and I don't deserve it. But no, actually what God's giving isn't just a commodity. He's giving himself. So grace is relational connection. And the relationship is the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Truth uh, is um, truth is God's reality as God sees it. Truth is what's real. God's reality is God sees it. And when God gives us his truth, uh, he's inviting us to share in the authority that that truth confers. 
All right. So, let's do this then. Relational connection and reality and conferred authority, this is love. This is love. Love is full of grace and truth. That's what this quadrant means, yeah? It means there's grace, there's truth, they're not balanced. It's both. When you balance something, you have to do less grace to provide more truth, or more grace to provide, or less truth to provide more grace. This isn't a balancing act. It's both. Now, this is a huge imaginative shift for us, and we'll talk about in our DNA groups what this looks like. Love is both connection and reality. Both. Um, but there's three other quadrants here. I want to name those for us because uh, if you're like me, and I know I am, you spend a lot of your life not living in love. Either personally or in just cultures or relationships where love isn't happening. Okay? So the first is there's no reality, no truth, but a lot of relational connection. We're going to call this um, a hangout quadrant. Hangout quadrant. This is a quadrant where you are really concerned with how everybody's doing. Right? Keeping people happy. Are you, are you good, Chanel? Are you good? Because if you're good, I'm good. So this is where uh, people-pleasing hangs out. The greatest good up in the hangout quadrant is that other people are doing good. Uh, for the adults in the room, and maybe uh, some of the more well-read kids, this is like codependency central. Let the listener understand. Hangout is where we have a lot of relational connection, but nobody is taking responsibility for their reality and themselves. Everybody's working hard to take responsibility for other people. Tracking? Track like that? We call it hangout. Because it's like, it's just whatever we have to do to keep everything copacetic and everybody just happy and let's have no conflict and let's make sure everybody's needs are met. And yeah. It, it has a form of godliness, but it denies its power. Yeah, it's like keeping everything copacetic. That sentence? Basically, keeping everybody like feel good. Yeah, good. keeping everybody feeling good. Okay. But he said a lot of relational connection, but no responsibility. Yeah, you're not giving anybody responsibility for themselves. You, you are taking on responsibility for other people. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure. I quite understand that. So, as opposed to taking on responsibility for yourself, you're taking on responsibility for other people. Yeah. 
So this truth thing is, uh, there's like a lot of words to describe it. Um, another way to describe it is, this is connection. I'm with you. I'm for you. Truth is distinction. I'm not you. You're you. I'm me. Right? Um, and that means there's difference. Right? So when you're living here, we can't be different. We, so we can't be different. not celebrated in the hangout zone. No. No. That's one of the dynamics of it. Gotcha. I, I've got to make sure whatever, whatever difference, friction, conflict is happening, that it goes away. And it's not your thing to deal with. Hey, you've got to get over the fact that you want this room 20% brighter and you won't talk until it is. In hangout, I'm doing whatever I can to get this room 20% brighter. So you're good. Are you good? We're good. If you're good, I'm good. Uh, Andrea, yes, yes. So the grump, so the grumpy person, or the alcoholic, or the one who's most passive aggressive, is the most powerful. Is the most powerful in the hangout culture. Uh, in this, it's really hard to ask for what you need in this culture because that's selfish. So what you do in this culture is you spend a lot of time meeting other people's needs. And hoping they guess what your needs are and take care of that too. <laughs> what you, oh. I'm helping 92. Yeah, yeah it would be interesting to throw Enneagram numbers up here uh, for this. But nines and twos, you may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what numbers in the group? Obviously, this is uh, four yeah, the most virtuous thing to do is to take care of what people want and need without them having to ask for it. That's virtue. And the height of sort of, um, like the violation in this culture is for you to ask for what you want. All right. Uh, then sort of, so this is nice, by the way. This is the nice part of that binary I put up earlier. So I'm going to put that here. People and hang out make a virtue out of niceness. A form of godliness denying its power. So like the, the binary I did earlier is kind of this here. So this we'll call call out. This is all truth but no connection. All reality, but no commitment to you. Right? This is where serious Christians hang out, by the way. <laughs> if you're in Sunday school on a Sunday morning in September, you may be a serious Christian. <laughs> this uh, do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, yeses and noes, call it. The sin police. This is where this is their this is where they hang out. This is full of uh, accusation. This is uh, by the way, this is appeasing. We can we can do a lot of alliteration here, which is like crap for me, by the way. <laughs> this is accusation. If this is appeasement, this is accusation. 
We'll talk about this a little bit in the sermon. Yeah, Carlo. Sorry, I just go to That's where the woke wars live. Say more about the woke wars. So you have to be more woke. Like, you, you, like everybody needs to be exactly as woke as I am. You, you have, sorry, just, I don't want to pass. Everybody knows what woke means, right? Yeah. yeah. Like awake to racial gender hierarchies. See, even in woke wars, that was... Or the deep state. Didn't say you know, or the deep state. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, didn't, you didn't say ableist. You didn't say uh, trans rights. You didn't say um, religious minorities. So, therefore, now I'm better than you. I don't have to go out <laughs> and do anything. You know, let's take that. You know, like, this yes. is woke wars. I don't yes. have to go out and march or put my life or risk or anything online. All I have to do is say, you didn't get it right uh, because you forgot ableism. So yes. you're now a worse person than I am. Yes. Good. Because Good. You, you weren't, you're, not as, you're not as smart or educated or aware of everything as I am. Yes. You guys tracking with that? So call out all, all truth, which isn't real truth, by the way. It's not the truth revealed in Jesus. It's like a form of truth or a shadow truth. It's reality without grace, which is never Jesus' truth. Um, but we see this in the church too, Carlo. Like most most Christian churches don't have woke wars. Some do, but our woke wars are about behaviors, right? Um, God's going to get you for that, right? We don't we don't watch movies as a family. Uh, rated R movies. Oh, well, we don't even watch PG thirteen movies as a family. Oh, really? We don't watch any Hollywood movies. Well, the only movies we've seen are Courageous and Fireproof. You know what I mean? There's like this hierarchy. <laughs> There's this hierarchy of, of sort of uh, in and out. Who's in and who's out? Who's right and who's wrong? Who's good who's bad? Great. And then uh, if, when there's no truth and no grace, we just call this checkout. There's no relational connection, and there's no uh, living in reality and, and giving people responsibility for themselves. So we call it checkout. And it's, if we use the A word, it's apathy. That's when you see Cece eating the candy, and you're just like, Yeah, I mean, she's eating, she's eating the candy, and like, um, I've tried calling her out. I tried calling my wife out. I don't want to hang out because it's too much. Because uh, I won't do it because of family system stuff. And so then I'm just like, fine, eat candy. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch football. Do whatever you want. So self-centered. Yes. Katie just said it's self-centered. Actually, all three of these quadrants are yeah. self-centered. These quadrants are about control, which is the opposite of what? Controlling others by being nice. Controlling others by being tough. And then uh, just controlling our own reactions to things by checking out. Numbing, medicating, hiding, escaping. Checking out. Uh, questions about this? Is there any, I mean, sometimes when I teach this, I don't realize how unclear I'm being. 
So you can help me with that. Matt, just a, maybe a comment that'll help illuminate some of it. Um, most of the time when we're doing hangout or call out, we're trying to like make something happen. You know what I mean? But it's in our own strength, in our own flesh. Like we're trying to make something good happen. Yep. Yep. Um, actually, check out too. We're trying to make something good happen, which is just like, you know what? I'm just going to take care of myself. Yeah. So, so it's 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 essentially like where we end up inevitably when we try to love other people in, from our flesh, just in our own strength. When we try to make good things happen in situations, but we're not really dwelling in love and learning to rely on God's presence and activity kind of with us. Yes. It's kind of our best attempt. It's humanity's best attempt to make good things happen without God. Like that's where we end up typically Yes. It's a good word. Yeah, Shanice, do you have a question? Or was that just a, you just giving him a witness? Yes. Yes. Let me, let me give you a concrete example about how this goes down. That might help. And he can, uh, you, can, uh, you can fill in any details I leave out for this, okay? So a common thing that happens at our family dinner table is that uh, one of our children doesn't want to eat what's for dinner. And usually, Deacon, it's... Who? Yeah, usually Cece. <laughs> um, and uh, Cece has really in touch with her feelings and emotions. And so it's not just, hey, mom, dad, I don't really prefer green beans. Could we have a conversation to talk about how I can navigate this with uh, wisdom and charity? <laughs> that's, that's not how it goes down. It's usually, I hate green beans. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eat. Can you eat your green beans? Dad, you're awful. Okay, so um, in that situation, which happens, I don't know, several times a week, day, I'm, I don't know. It's all blurred. She's seven, and I feel like it happens all the time. Uh, my body is ready to call out and hang out and check out without thinking. Right? Without thinking. So she doesn't want to eat her green beans. What does hang out sound like in that situation? If I'm going to hang out, if my whole strategy is to make this better for her and to make her happy... What would hangout be? You want pizza for dinner? Oh, yeah. Green beans? We're not eating green beans. You want pizza and ice cream? Yeah. If green beans are bothering you, I'll remove what's bothering you so you can be happy. And you apologize, too. I'm so sorry that I made you upset by making these green beans. It's my fault you're upset. So, like, I'm apologizing. It's obviously my fault you're distressed, and I'm throwing other food at you to make you happy. Yeah. Okay. But in this world, and in relationship with people, you have to have strategies. Your intention should be love, but we have to have strategies as to how to actually live into that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Complicates a little bit, I guess. I, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, we'll talk about those. Maybe even in this example, we'll talk about the ways we move from hangout to what we'll... If this is hangout and call out, we'll call this call in. Calling people into relationship with you and calling them into the kingdom. We'll talk about strategies for that. All right, so if that's hangout, what is call out? How dare you? <laughs> Do you know who I am? I drive a Dodge Stratus. You know how good I'm a regional general manager. Yeah. What? What else? Okay. So call out could just be yelling. Do you know yelling. how healthy green beans are for you? Because yeah. green beans they help you do this. Yes. And you not want those guys. Yes. Is, this is like my like. Your life. I, I know that. But yeah. Like, oh yeah. Here I'm grateful there are kids starving and. Yeah, okay, so you know how, uh, how well-fed you are? Let me show you some pictures of really skinny, starving, fly-ridden people in Africa. So there's, there's shame. There's, oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's fear. Or uh, you're, you're not getting up, young lady, until you finish everything, and I'll sit here all night with you. And yeah, we did that. Yep. I will take away your dog if you don't eat this. Yeah. Yeah. At least, and maybe I'm wrong if not correct me, but a lot of call-out culture, you know, we're saying it as a very, like, angry energy, but I've seen it a lot as a lot of, as a very, like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, like, I just spent all afternoon cooking these green beans for you, and I, yeah. I really broke my back for it, and, you know, I guess if you hate me, you don't have to. Yes. There's shaming. Yeah, there's yeah. shaming. Yeah, so what you guys are, what you guys are describing, and what you're intuiting, is that um, a whole lot of fear... Guilt, <laughs> fear, guilt, and shame live down here. Which, I'm sorry if I'm the first Christian to tell you this, but please, if you don't write anything else in this class, write down this. Those are the tools of the enemy, and they are not of God. Jesus came to set us free from those things, not to use those things to get us to obey God. Guilt can get you to the cross, but it can get you no farther. This is, the ten, this is probably one of the top five sins of the religious community, is that we've taken the tools of the enemy, and we've used them to get people to behave for God. I do not, I'm not messing around with this, because it's toxic and awful, and it's it's, it's pushed people out of the church, it's scarred consciences, and it's ruined people's faith. I don't care if you walk away from God. Just, just walk away from the actual God, not a God full, full of fear, guilt, and shame. If you're walking away from fear, guilt, and shame, God bless you. Keep going. Because eventually you may meet the God whose name is love. So if you call out with my daughter with the green beans, looks like also bribes and threats. I'm trying to control her behavior. If you eat your green beans, I'll give you three helpings of dessert. If you don't eat your green beans, you're losing dessert for a week. Do you see what, um, do you see what lever I'm pulling there? What lever am I pulling? If you don't eat your green beans, you'll lose your dessert for the week? Fear. Fear. Oh, gosh. Right? I know, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll get a spanking, right? Punishment. There's punishment if you don't eat. 
All right, we're, we're running uh, short on time. What does, okay, check out just uh, Isaiah. It looks like pulling out your phone and getting on Twitter. It looks like getting up to the table and being like, I'm going to be in the backyard. You can take care of this, you know. It looks like just like stop responding and just kind of go into your mind cave and you're just, you're just dreaming about when they're in college. Right? What's up, Noah? No, what's up? All right, we want to hear from you. All right, so maybe, maybe I'll come back. All right? Let's check out. Check out's pretty obvious, right? All right, call in. Let me just state what uh, some of the things call-in could be. Um, my daughter is distressed. She's upset. Uh, to put it in biological terms, she's all up in her amygdala. No amount of rational talking to her will fix it. Clearly, the distress you're in is disproportionate to the stimulus. Yeah. And so, like, that's not going to help her. Does that help out? Yeah. So, um, so what, what relational connection looks like is something, is something like seeing her distress and being with her in it. This is the incarnation. Condescending, get, divesting myself of all my dad rights and getting down in it with her. I see you're upset. I know this is hard. I know you don't like green beans. I've heard you say you don't like the texture and you don't like the taste. It's hard for me to eat stuff like that too. grace. It's me giving myself to her. It's not perfect grace. It's not God's grace, but it's, it's an expression of grace. I see you, I'm with you, and I'm not uh, your adversary. By the way, down here, we're adversaries. I'm not your adversary. I love you. I see you, I know, I'm with you, I get it. I'm sorry. I get it. I know. I see. And there's no shortcut to communicating that. You can't say, I know this is hard, but... You don't really know. You don't really care. In that example, what strikes me is, are you still telling her she has to eat her green beans? Yeah. You're empowering her make that choice. Well, this is the truth then, right? This is the truth. So truth, uh, so, the, so then truth, there's, again, there's about a hundred things to talk about here, and each situation unpacks more of what the truth is, and that this is why the DNA groups are important, because this is about developing wisdom, not about just applying knowledge. And there's no microwave or shortcut to wisdom. At all. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so the first truth I tell is about myself. You know, there's some foods that mommy cooks I don't like either. These green beans are not my favorite. So I, I get that. I'm eating things I don't like to. Right? Truth cares about not the externals and exteriors, but it cares about the internals and interiors. So, so truth is speaking to the reality of her heart and her desire and her agency, not if you just do what I say, I can reduce my anxiety. So then, the reality is, green beans is not a life or death thing. 
We're not having this conversation if she's playing in front of a speeding truck. Right? Green beans. Right? So she has, so truth is giving people agency. Not controlling them, but letting them choose. Giving them choice. And we'll see, Jesus does this all the time. So truth looks something like this. Here's who you are, CC. You're a strong girl. I've seen you do hard things. I've seen you eat things you don't want before. I've seen you do it quickly. And I've seen you, like, smile 10 seconds afterwards. So I know you can eat things you don't want to. I've seen it happen before. You can do it again. This is who you are, CC. Right? And you have to decide to eat these green beans or not. There's consequences to not eating the green beans. And then there's consequences for eating the green beans. Your choice has power. Your choice matters. You get to make that choice. I'm here for you. If you choose to eat the green beans, I'm here for you. I will be your... advocate to make a right choice. To make a good choice. I'll leverage everything I have. I'll cheer you on. I'll support you. I'll help you think of strategies to eat the green beans. But then, here's the cost of love, friends. One of the reasons we don't do it very often, and we're going to wrap up. Love doesn't control outcomes. You can't get your way and love. In most situations. Again, if my daughter's playing in the street and the speeding truck's coming to her, I'm not having a conversation about why the yard is better than the street. I'm just grabbing. But 99% of life is in a speeding car. It's green beans. And even that is love. It is love, yes. But if I'm doing that every time with my daughter, if I treat every situation like it's a speeding car, she doesn't develop wisdom. She doesn't develop agency. She doesn't develop her own sense of what she has to bring in the world. She has no way of making difficult decisions. She doesn't know how to recruit her own strength to do things. I'm just saying, you didn't yes. put love aside. On no, you're right. It just looks, I'm just saying it looks yeah. different depending upon circumstances. Guess yeah. tracking? So love is about connecting with somebody and calling them into relationship with you and relationship to the kingdom where Jesus is Lord. That means they have to own their authority, their agency, their responsibility for themselves. So typically the CC is, will you put my green beans on my fork for me? She's seven. She can do that. Right? And, and it's like, I don't want her to be 17 and me putting green beans on her fork. You know? But so I'll say, okay, I'll do the first one. And you do the second one. So there's this, there's this meeting her. But the ultimate goal isn't get the green beans eaten. The ultimate goal in love is that Celeste becomes a different person. Because she's able to tap into her agency. And she trusts my love for her. And if that happens and she eats two bites of green beans, I'm ecstatic. If that doesn't happen and she eats all the green beans, it's not about the green beans. Yes? Oh, man. I know. The, ul- the ultimate goal. In- the ultimate goal isn't just to get the green beans eaten. 
The ultimate goal is that Celeste learns to trust my love for her and trust that she has agency and power beyond what she thinks. All right, here's what I want you to do. Uh, this week in your DNA groups, we're going to take this tool and uh, the people who are leading your DNA groups are going to ask you to think about relationships, situations in your life where you're experiencing love and places where you're not experiencing love. Like concrete descriptions. And we're going to discern the kingdom there. We're going to meet God there. In, in those actual realities, what is God saying? What is God doing? How is God calling us into the kingdom so that we can learn how to love and call other people into the kingdom? Yeah? Cool. They'll be able to answer questions. If you have other questions, uh, you can email me or just talk to me. I, I do like conversations. And uh, this will be recorded and you can listen to it again if you missed any sentences and you want to get them done. All right, let me pray for us and then we will uh, let the kids go carb up and we'll caffeine up. Also, Mallory has the sign-ups for the DNA groups. They meet on different evenings and they're all meeting online so you don't have to leave your house. Which is great for those of us who our childcare budget is shot after one date night. And so, um, <clears throat> can I get a witness? Uh, and so... Uh, please see Mallory if you still need to sign up for that. If you're on the fence, you don't know, if you want to be in a DNA group, come talk to me or Mallory or Ben, and we'll, um, we'll call you out. No, we'll, we'll help, you, <laughs> help you discern that. God, uh, we do want to know how to love, and we, um, we know that you're serious about love, and that it's the most transformational part of who you are and dynamic in the universe, and so we want to consent to that, give ourselves to it. So help us now, even as we enter worship here shortly, to receive all that you are, to commune with you, so that we can become more loving. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.